This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by ArtTactic.com, where you can now find our auction analysis report for the London Post-Order Contemporary Evening Auctions that occurred last week. Sales are down 20% from last year. However, young female artists continue to defy the negative market sentiment. You can check out the analysis in full by visiting ArtTactic.com. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. It was great seeing so many of you in LA last week for Freeze LA and Felix. It was the second year of these fairs and it feels like the week has really established itself as one that will be a major week in the annual art fair schedule. It isn't just the fairs, but LA has so much more going on. The maturing gallery scene, the flourishing museums, and also so many artists live in LA. There's really ample opportunities for collectors attending the fair to schedule studio visits during the week. And of course, we have to mention the great weather. It rained last year, but thankfully it was sunny all week this year. And that does definitely play a role in the week, especially considering it's February and many people out of town are coming from colder climates. In this week's episode, we chat with Margaret Kerrigan. She's the deputy art market editor at the Art Newspaper. Margaret joins us to help recap and dissect several aspects of the Art Fair Week in L.A., We hope you enjoy the episode. Margaret, thanks so much for coming on and speaking with us. Thanks for having me. It was a busy week in L.A. with not only the fairs, but all the other activities going on around the city. This was the second edition of Freeze and Felix. What would you say were some of the notable differences between last year's inaugural editions of the fairs and this year, the second year of the fairs? Well, in my personal opinion, I think that the parties were much better this year. (laughs) Um, But I also think, um, I think most notable... I think with how much weight Felix had um, within the landscape, uh, which is, you know, the uh, satellite fair that sprung up last year in response to Freeze LA. Um, And its popularity kind of sparked rumors that Freeze, you know, that's already internationally renowned, was cracking down on cross-exhibiting. And this was like, you know, the the rumor before anyone even got on the ground in LA. Um, And uh, notably, there, there wasn't any overlap between Freeze's exhibitors and Felix's exhibitors which were, Felix had 60 exhibitors, almost 60 exhibitors this year, which is up 30% on last year, or even more. Um, And I think that's a marked change from last year, which saw like local galleries like Chateau Chateau and Suzanne Villemetter participating in both Freeze and Felix. Though this year, both of those galleries were only showing in Freeze's booth, or Freeze's fair. And Suzanne actually has openly said to me that she thinks limiting the crossover is a real loss uh, as the whole ethos of LA is more collaborative, less competitive, and maybe a major international fair like Freeze is kind of changing that. But at Freeze itself, I think there was a lot more focus on sales this year than there was last year, and the sales were quick at that. And um, the speed and the sums were not on par with something like Art Basel, but they they weren't far off the mark. Um, and that being said, there were a lot of galleries that had pre-sold or at least pre-reserved work, but that in and of itself isn't out of bounds for another Basel or another Freeze Fair. Yeah, and walking around Freeze LA, 
I felt it last year and I felt it this year again. There's definitely something unique about that fair. It has a different feel than some of the other major fairs around the world, whether you're talking about Basel or Miami or Freeze New York or Freeze London. What would you say it is that makes Freeze LA unique compared to some of the other major art fairs around the country and around the world? Yeah, it's it's easier than those fairs. That's the best way I can describe it. Like it's smaller, it's, you know, it's capped at around 70 exhibitors. It has its, you know, um, backlots projects, which I think is the real success. Like I think Freeze has really done a great job with the backlot um, of Paramount Studios and kind of turning that into not only uh, an exhibition, like large scale exhibition space, but also a performance space, also kind of a meeting area. There's food out there. It's like just a general hangout. And I think that that is something that other art fairs would be wise to be looking at really closely, just kind of like how it, how it has really um, made the experience work for it out there. Um, but on top of that, I think that Freeza like kind of has the feel of like an early armory show or something to it. It's, it's got a lot of international heft, but a certain local flavor to it without being just a regional art fair. Uh, but but here's what's really different in my opinion, and, and I think this might be one of the biggest hurdles to any future or long-term success that Freeze might have, uh, and it's that the West Coast is very different to the East Coast. And I might be getting a, a bit too macro here, but it's something I found myself thinking about a lot while I was in LA, and that's that New York is one of, if not the most European cities in America, just in terms of its historical economy and its social structures. And it's obviously, obviously just geographically closer to Europe, which has, codif- had, has had a codified art market for centuries. And the New York art market is really only a generation or two old when you really get down to it. But before that, it was relying on the European art market. Um, and I think that transatlantic crossover between New York for Freeze New York or somewhere like, you know, Basel or, or Art Basel in Miami um, contributes to the success of major fairs moving into the U.S. over the last decade. Uh, so, like, plus Freeze and now TFAS in, in New York and, and maybe even Paris Photo, which launches in this April in New York. Um, you know, you see a lot of that welcomeness of crossover. But California is, is not just New York with palm trees. And anyone in California will say that's a very obvious statement. Um, it, it's got its own rules. It's got its own economy, its own social values. And it, it's just built on different stuff, and it shows. And I think I was, that was really coming to the fore for me at Freeze this year. Um, and I think Freeze right now is a great advertise, advertisement for the city's art scene, but I'm, I'm unsure that a British or European fair will ever be made to feel entirely at home there. And, you know, I mean, like speaking of Paris photo, when, when FIAC tried to swoop in on LA a few years ago, it was just kind of shot down immediately. So obviously Freeze has a, a local link with um, the Endeavor Entertainment Agency's investment, which I think can go a long way for, for them in the long run, but in, it definitely has to not become Freeze London or Freeze New York, which you know, from a bottom line standpoint, might be difficult as Freeze LA is ultimately smaller and and a touch more local and that can inhibit who shows there. And so if we dig into this year's edition of Freeze LA, what were some of the major highlights and sales that you can report? Uh, I think the big big one that everyone was really excited about was, you know, in the the opening hours of the fair, um, Pace Gallery and King Griffin Corcoran, they had a shared booth this year and were showing, uh, it was all dedicated to James Terrell. Um, They, they, was making tons of sales on that. Most of the works reportedly went to local collectors, including Kendall Jenner. That was the easy name drop there. So that's very exciting. Um, 
Hauser and Wirth was really popular. Uh, they they had a lot of Avery Singer's new work. They just picked up Avery Singer's really popular artist, blowing up right now. And they sold all five of her works. Um, and they, uh, I think they were priced from like 85000 to 495000 is what I wrote down. Um, so those, you know, those are pretty big ticket works. And then um, David Warner topped $8 million in the first day, which is, is pretty good for a new fair. And then uh, local galleries really cleaned up as well at, at Freeze. Um, very small fire solo booth was dedicated to Kalinda Rawls. Um, and they sold out immediately uh, within an hour or two. Uh, I think all of those were priced under $30,000. And the gallery also had a concurrent solo show dedicated to the artist um, at their physical space, which had, I think also sold out. Um, that's, I haven't fact-checked that, but I'm uh, pretty sure. Um, and then... You know, next door at Chateau Chateau's booth, uh, there were a lot of works going uh, by Arya Dean and Helen Johnson. Uh, and Dean's work is going to be included in the Made in L.A. biennial that's coming up this spring, so it was going, like, really fast. Um, and uh, Esther of Very Small Fires, she, she kind of told me the pace this year felt much more like Miami. Uh, things were kind of going really quick, and there was an urgency to it. So I think that's an interesting development there. Yeah, I definitely felt that energy as well. And in addition to that, it also felt really crowded, very well attended, almost too well attended. And I was speaking to a major gallery about that during the fair, and they said, yeah, it's definitely very crowded. And in addition to that, also the booth sizes at Freeze LA are actually slightly smaller, which I didn't really think about or notice until they said that. And so I'm curious, do you think Freeze LA can actually remain in their current venue on Paramount Studios, or do, is there an expectation that they're going to have to move to a larger space to accommodate the large crowd sizes and in the future potentially hosting more galleries for the fair? I think, yeah, I think this is the question, right? Um, Paramount is, is ideal right now. It's central and what is a very decentralized city. Um, and even the local galleries really appreciate that. I, again, Esther at Very Small Fires was telling me that she was seeing local clients at Freeze that she hadn't seen since last freeze, because it's just legit hard to get people out in LA. Um, and I think the importance of the fair, uh, just bringing the immediate LA scene together for a week is, is integral to its success currently. But because it is smaller, that cuts down on its revenue. Um, if it moves, it, it becomes a different fair. And like I said, I think the last thing LA wants is a freeze London. And frankly, no one wants to freeze New York, not even New York, at least not in its current Randall's Island incarnation. So if they move, they will have to be very smart about how they do it or or potentially and they might find a way to expand other verticals with like programming and events, perhaps to find different revenue streams if they want to try and stay in Paramount. So one of my favorite parts of art fairs is that you have art world insiders coming together and communicating with one another about certain art world and art market topics. What were a few of the things you were hearing them discuss last week in L.A.? Well, I actually, um, I really like this question because something that I kept being asked, and I actually ended up writing about this um, for the art newspaper, was it something that uh, I've, I overheard more than once and was asked directly more than once, was, do you think you could live here? Um, and it was always by like a New York or London-based dealer or advisor or curator or someone. And it's really, it's no secret that there's nothing like some California sunshine in mid-February that you're just like, yeah, have I made a misstep in my life choices thus far that I am not out <laughs> here all the time? 
Um, but I think what was really underlying that question for me is, is, is the, a more speculative one, which is like, does LA have what it takes to become the art trade's next big hub? Um, is there enough going on there year round to warrant this kind of like, you know, class of collectors and dealers and things that are located in the major art hubs right now to make that move full time? Or should they just be, be coming out there for LA? Um, and I think what's really interesting when I've had chats with locals out there um, is, and, and, and something that I think has been talked about before is that there's, there's not a ton of new wealth in LA. There's a lot of wealth in general, but there's not like a, a, a burgeoning industry out there that's really feeling it like somewhere like San Francisco, you know? Um, so I think what, what I keep thinking about what, and what I kept kind of chatting about with other people while I was out there was how how deep does this, the roots run on, on this? Like, can it actually grow to be a year-round art capital? Or is it, is it precisely successful right now because it's a destination art capital? Rather, you know, like, Art Basel and, and the other freezes are, are located in wealth centers, like global wealth centers. And I don't know if LA is that. It's certainly a national wealth center for the U.S., but it, I don't know that it's a global one. So I think that's kind of the question that people are going to be mulling over going into the third iteration because, you know, the third edition of an art fair is largely seen as a, as a trial by fire to see if it's sustainable. I think that's a good point, and it'll be interesting to see how the city of L.A. and the art scene there continues to develop over the next few years. But it seems like certainly it's built enough of an infrastructure with the galleries and the museums, not to mention all of the artists who are living there now, where it really can successfully host this kind of art fair week. Um, because in addition to attending the fairs, there's so many other activities for collectors to do. You know, they're communicating with so many of these galleries now in L.A., and they can finally visit them in person. And they maybe collect so many artists who live in L.A. that can finally meet the artists, visit their studios. So it seems like, to me, that this week can be a fixture in the art fair calendar moving forward because of the infrastructure they've built thus far in the city and how much it's grown and how much momentum there is over the last few years. The one thing I'll say is that I was at um, the David Werner party on, on the opening night of the fair and I overheard somebody saying, you know, LA forgets quickly and it, it's all well and good to have a week of events, but it's pretty quiet for the rest of the year. So you kind of have to like either double down on being there or really rely on what like the people that know what's going on there. And before we go, I want to ask you about Felix as well. It's becoming a really important part of this L.A. Art Fair week. When I came back to New York, people were asking me about the week, and they weren't just asking about Freeze. A lot of the, a lot of the collectors and galleries I spoke to, they were interested in what Felix was like, what the vibe was, were sales happening, um, maybe they were considering exhibiting there in the future. How did it go in the second edition of the fair? Yeah, well, speaking of um, people that, know what's going on there I, I really think that that is Felix <laughs> and I think that's the one to watch it's the homegrown fair um it, it it's exhibitor numbers just swelled this year and um and more was evidently better for them I think that the turnout was great everyone was really excited about it this year all the exhibitors seemed really happy for the most part um and there were some major sales going on as well I think 
the London Gallery, Alice and Jack sold um, over a million dollars worth of work during the VIP day alone. And that's a really sizable sum for any satellite fair presentation. And, and I think that suggests that Felix has way more going on for it than just satellite fair status. It's its own planet, you know? Um, and overall, it seems like the, the exhibitors there continually want to do it again and that they are actually having, you know, you talked about on the last episode of the podcast um, that there's too much demand for it. So it's kind of like how, how, how does um, Felix respond to that going forward? But overall, um, it's a laid back hotel vibe, the, the kind of domestic appeal. It's what plays well in LA. And I think that that is really something important to uh, watch going forward because increasingly across luxury markets, luxury doesn't equal opulence anymore. It's about simply feeling comfortable and having a nice day. Um, and Felix really provides that. Margaret, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and helping us recap Freeze and Felix. It was a really exciting week in L.A., and it'll be interesting to see how the week plays out in the next few years. All of our listeners can check out all of your writing on in the art newspaper and on the art newspaper's website, and you're also on social media, often talking about the art market. Where can they find you there? Uh, I'm at Real Life Maggie on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can also follow the art newspaper. Perfect. Thanks so much again, Margaret. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you.